Welcome to One World Radio Station, promoting the oneness of God, oneness of religion, and oneness of humanity. This is the river of everlasting life that hath flowed from the wellspring of the pen of the merciful. Well, is it with them that drink? This is the river of everlasting life. That hath flowed from the wellspring of the pen of the merciful. Well, is it with them that drink? O my servant, abandon not for that which perisheth, and everlasting dominion, and cast not away celestial sovereignty for a worldly desire. This is the river of everlasting life. That hath flowed from the wellspring of the pen of the merciful. Well, is it with them that drink? This is the river of everlasting life. That hath flowed from the wellspring of the pen of the merciful. Well, is it with them that drink? O my servant, abandon not for that which perisheth. An everlasting dominion, and cast not away celestial sovereignty for a worldly desire. This is the river of everlasting life that hath flowed from the wellspring of the pen of the merciful. Well, is it with them that drink? This is the river of everlasting life. That hath flowed from the wellspring of the pen of the merciful. Well, is it with them that drink? Thank you for listening to OWRS. The Wilmot Institute offers many courses on the writings of Baha'u'llah, and it seems a good idea at the beginning of these courses to have a general summary of the nature of Baha'u'llah's revelation, its content, the history of its development, and the breadth of the type of texts that were revealed. So probably the best place to start is to give you some idea of quantity. We have preserved at the Baha'i World Center in Haifa, Israel, over 20,000 separate documents. The general word used for these documents are tablets, and many of them are just letters. Some of them are book length, um, some of them are poems, some of them are treatises of various sorts. So there's really quite a wide range of genres, as we will see in a minute. These were revealed up to 1892 when Baha'u'llah passed away. The oldest ones we have, uh, in writing at any rate, date back to 1853, I believe, so or 52. So we have 40 entire years of revelation. According to the Baha'i World Center, they've put all of this now into a digital database, over 6 million words have been uh, you know, digitized in Arabic and Persian by Baha'u'llah. And according to a count that I did recently, uh, we have about 480,000 words of Baha'u'llah available in English translation. This is, of course, you can, you can now have software add these things up for you, so that's what I did. 
that would be about 8% of the total revelation of Baha'u'llah that has been translated into English over the last 150 or so years. Baha'u'llah writes uh, primarily in Arabic, sometimes in Persian as well, and sometimes he writes in a mixture of the two. These are basically Persian sentences with extensive Arabic in them, sometimes with entire Arabic quotations such as Quranic quotations embedded in them. And in the 19th century, you would have had to have been a very fairly well-educated person to read many of these tablets. He can sometimes write things, of course, more simply, and if he writes poetry, uh, that's a totally different thing. But there's quite a range of things that Baha'u'llah produced. Even where poetry is concerned, he didn't just produce one particular kind of poetry, but several different types of poetry. Uh, these are specific uh, rhyme schemes in Persian and Arabic that you have to follow in traditional uh, poetic um, genres, and Baha'u'llah did that as well. In addition to poems, he wrote prayers, many, many letters to people, uh, or sometimes they're called epistles, which is just a fancy word for letters, treatises, polemical texts. If he was attacked, he would write sometimes lengthy book-length book even responses to those, uh, laws, uh, many different kinds of texts that Baha'u'llah wrote. One of the most uh, valuable summaries of the writings of Baha'u'llah was by Adib Teherzadeh, and his four volumes each of which is uh, several hundred pages in length, covers, believe it or not, only 86 different writings by Baha'u'llah. So that gives you some idea of the huge extent of material uh, that has been produced and the depth uh, that we've begun to uh, explore some of this material. Gleanings from the writings of Baha'u'llah, which is a very popular uh, general text in English, has 166 extracts. Prayers and Meditations by Baha'u'llah, another English language translation, has 184 extracts. And of course, sometimes there's more than one extract from the same source. So this is not 184 or 166 different works by Baha'u'llah, but uh, no doubt a smaller number of works uh, from which materials have been uh, selected. One Baha'i maintains something he calls the Leiden List. I believe you can find it using Google. And he has 513 tablets by Baha'u'llah, uh, last I looked, uh, in the Leiden list where he can actually give a name for a tablet, a date of revelation of the tablet, and a recipient for the tablet. Uh, no doubt there's more information available than that at the Baha'i World Center in Haifa, but again, it has not really been completely correlated. Uh, and uh, eventually, no doubt, it will be released, but we have, they haven't gotten to that point yet. The various courses the Wilmot Institute offers on the writings of Baha'u'llah cover approximately 30 of these works uh, by him. So there's a huge amount that uh, still could be covered. We have partial or full translations from perhaps 500 different tablets from Baha'u'llah. Now, of course, when you say that there's, you know, how many altogether, 20,000 tablets, and we only have 500 of them available in English, you immediately think, well, that's only at the tip of the iceberg. In actual fact, the ones we have are the longest, most important tablets, uh, the ones that are uh, read the most widely, the ones Baha'u'llah himself recommended, the ones Abdu'l-Baha recommended be translated into English, and so the selection of this material we have in English uh, is far more important than these numbers might suggest. That that said, that doesn't mean there aren't some amazing things lurking out there that no doubt in the future we will all benefit from having available in our own language. 
I've often thought that 100 years from now, 200 years from now, there will be talks given titled like Water Imagery in Tablet 8375 because we'll have to number the tablets in order to be able to identify them. There's so many of them, it would be the only way that we could. English is very lucky that we have so much available. French, Italian, Spanish, uh, German, uh, Swahili, uh, Chinese, Japanese, they have less. And if you go to languages where you have a smaller population or a population that's perhaps less literate, like Mongolian or Nepali, um, something like that, Zulu, uh, the quantity of material available in those languages, of course, is even less. And there's a huge effort at translating Baha'u'llah's revelation into as many languages as possible, and there's now Baha'i literature available in about 800 languages. When we translate these things, the translations by Shoghi Effendi, Baha'u'llah's great-grandson and the guardian of the Baha'i faith from 1921 to 1957, those are the standard translations that we use. And the way he translated it, uh, the approach that he took to translation, gives us the clues for how to render these texts into these other languages. And frequently, the translations are being made from the authorized translations from English as well. Baha'u'llah himself describes his revelation as an ocean. And you see here in Gleanings from the Writings of Baha'u'llah, page 136, an example of this particular passage, this particular image. Immerse yourselves in the ocean of my words that you may unravel its secrets and discover all the pearls of wisdom that lie hid in its depths. So here we have a, a good description of the quantity and of the majesty and of the immense importance of this uh, revelation that we will be studying. It's useful to do a comparison between this and earlier religions to get some idea of what more the Baha'i Faith has. There's a quotation from an Islamic tradition. Uh, I don't know whether it's from the Prophet Muhammad or whether it's from one of the Imams, but Shoghi Effendi quotes it in the World Order of Baha'u'llah, page 24, where this tradition says, knowledge is 27 letters. In other words, a complete alphabet. This is an alphabet of 27 letters. All that the prophets have revealed are two letters thereof. No man thus far, hath, thus far hath known more than these two letters, but when the Ga'em shall arise, he will cause the remaining twenty and five letters to be made manifest. Now the Ga'em in this case is not Baha'u'llah, it's the Bab. And so this is an indication of how much greater the revelation of the Bab is compared to all of the revelations of the past. And of course, the revelation of Baha'u'llah is even more momentous than that. So it's worth looking at this passage from this Islamic tradition to give some context, some sense of scale and scope and of importance to this revelation. When we actually sort of look at things more specifically, we'll note that, for example, Abraham was presumably illiterate, and even if he had written anything down, nothing that he wrote has survived. Moses' revelation also was an oral tradition from about, say, 1250 or 1300 BCE until about the year 1000 BCE, 250 to 300 years. And when the revelation of Moses was first being written down, that's also when Abraham's was written down. And Abraham lived perhaps 1800 BCE, 800 or more years before the point of writing of this 
these texts, these really legends at this point. The Hebrew Bible, or as Christians call it, the Old Testament, has a total of 593,000 words. At least that's one number I found on the, um, the web. You will find other numbers that are similar to this. Uh, that, of course, means it's about one-tenth the quantity of text that Baha'u'llah himself provided. Uh, and, of course, a lot of that is not straight from Moses or Abraham. A lot of that is stories, it's uh, history, it's all kinds of other things which are very important for understanding the history of the Jewish people, but nevertheless are not actually um, uh, revelation. The revelation of Jesus, which occurred more recently than that of Moses, 200 or, oh, sorry, 1,200 or so years after Moses, um, it was, it's also not written down right away. It was an oral tradition for somewhere between 10 and 60 years. And Jesus spoke in Aramaic, but his uh, words were finally written down, not in Aramaic, but in Greek. So you have this lengthy oral uh, process of transmitting his teachings and spontaneously translating them from one language to another. Much of Christianity, of course, is not even founded on the words of Jesus. They founded on the words of the Apostle Paul. Um, and <clears throat> it's interesting to note that if you look through um, a New Testament, through the Gospels, <clears throat> and add up all the words reportedly uttered by Jesus, they amount to about one to 2,000 words, something like that. You'll see both of those numbers cited on the web, and it has a lot to do with sort of how you determine what words to count or what ones not to count. The New Testament itself has something like 181,000 words. Remember again, Baha'u'llah is 6 million. Muhammad's revelation which was an oral tradition for about 10 years, was then carefully written down and became what is called the Quran. The Quran is understood to consist of only words that Muhammad received from God through revelation and not words Muhammad himself added to the revelation. So it's not considered to be any words from the manifestation, only words from the divine source itself. And the Quran has 77,000 words in it. By comparisons with the Bab, for example, we have today preserved in the Baha'i World Center uh, archives 2,000 different tablets and over 5 million words. Note that Baha'u'llah had 20,000 or so tablets and 6 million words, which tells you that the Bab wrote a lot of very lengthy things. He didn't have a chance to write very many letters, but he wrote a lot of treatises instead. So he produced lots of lengthy texts and we have a lot of books from, Baha from the Bab that have survived, and the Wilmot Institute has courses about them as well. The writings of Baha'u'llah's successor, Abdu'l-Baha, his son, born in 1844 and died in 1921. We have about 5 million words from Abdu'l-Baha as well, something like 30,000 different works, again, almost all letters, though he also uh, gave a lot of talks, and we have uh, three books written by Abdu'l-Baha, uh, all written actually during Baha'u'llah's, uh, two of them were written during Baha'u'llah's lifetime. And Shoghi Effendi, Abdu'l-Baha's successor, the authorized interpreter of the faith from 1921 to 57, wrote something like 22,000 different works and 5 million words are there as well. These word counts again come from the Baha'i World Center. So if you add the 5 million of the Bab, 5 million of Abdu'l-Baha, the 5 million of Shoghi Effendi, and the 6 million of Baha'u'llah, and these are approximates, and these are also at least, according to the World Center, uh, we have 21 million words uh, in the authoritative texts 
of the Baha'i Faith. That in, truly is a remarkable uh, ocean. Now, Baha'u'llah doesn't um, <clears throat> just reveal everything all at once. He reveals certain themes first, and once he starts to reveal a theme, he generally continues working on that theme for the rest of his life throughout the Revelation, but then he might add another theme to it, and then another theme, and then another theme. So if you look at the writings of Baha'u'llah, and you arrange them in chronological order, you will get some sense of how the Revelation broadened out over time. The earliest texts by Baha'u'llah were often short mystical poems, and these focus on the spiritual journey of the individual toward the divine. In other words, the eternal mystic quest of the individual uh, for union with God. And this is the true heart of any religious experience, the, the uh, mystical connection between the individual and God. So Baha'u'llah starts there, and then he begins to talk about other things such as the nature of God, the nature of revelation, afterlife, and covenant. He talks about other sacred texts, the Quran and the Bible in particular, and even sometimes Zoroastrian texts. He interprets them. He explains some of their meanings, especially prophetic passages. He begins to clarify the teachings of past religions or elaborate upon them. We see this starting well, with the gems of divine mysteries in the Kitab Yagan, certainly, which are revealed in uh, 1861 or so. Um, so we have already from 1853 to 1861 this progression from the mystical on towards the talking about these other religions. And, of course, the mystical theme continues at that point. Then, of course, Baha'u'llah announces his mission first to a select group of followers in the Resvan Garden in Baghdad in 1863, and then gradually to the entire world. So you begin to get the proclamation of his mission uh, in a public way. But you can find that theme also all the way back as far as his first poem, because it's revealed, it's written in revelation form. It's not written like he were just some um, mystical master. It's written as if it were a revelation. And you see this also in the Kitabe Igan, where he talks about it being revealed by the B and the H by Baha at the end of that particular book. He uses that word revealed. So he doesn't overtly announce his mission at the beginning, but he hints at it all the way back to the beginning. And then it begins to announce it more publicly, overtly, in the late 1860s. Then moving from the late, eight, late 1860s into the 1870s, he begins to reveal laws major principles of behavior. This especially is things like the Kitabe Akdas, where he gives his laws, uh, laws of fasting and inheritance and such. Uh, he begins to outline the structure of the Baha'i community. He talks about feast. He talks about the spiritual assembly, which he at that point refers to as the House of Justice. Uh, then you move on into the 1870s, 1880s, 18, early 1890s. He begins to talk about world civilization and the need for global um, structures. Even in the Kitabi Akdas, he talks about the need for a world language in the 1870s. So you see how progressively the, uh, the view broadens out from the individual all the way out to the entire world. But he doesn't stop, of course, talking about the individual. And he doesn't start talking about global things at the very beginning either. So he gradually reveals different themes and then continues to elaborate upon them 
but you can easily argue that the latest themes are often hinted at or they exist in nucleus, you know, seed form, even in the, many of the earliest writings as well. So there's a continuous unfoldment that we see in the writings of Baha'u'llah. Make way for the blessed beauty Get ready for a brand new dawn Make way for the blessed beauty The time for waiting has come and gone Can't you hear the trumpet sounding? Trumpets sounding, ringing out to one and all. He has come, he has come with the message for the world. A message of hope, a message. interesting to talk about what revelation is because when we talk about revelation we have to understand what Baha'u'llah was experiencing and what he was actually doing when he received revelation. He wasn't just sitting at a desk and writing down his texts like you and I might if we didn't happen to have a computer we'd have to do it by hand you know. Uh, instead he actually received them and uh, chanted or dictated them aloud because they came to him so quickly. And so we have this particular account, again from Adib Taherzadeh's book, The Revelation of Baha'u'llah, Volume 1, page 36. Uh, in these days, Mirza Agha John, who was Baha'u'llah's secretary, as instructed by Baha'u'llah, would first read the letters that they received to him, and then, as Baha'u'llah dictated, write the tablets in answer to them. The verses of God were revealed with great rapidity and without prior contemplation or meditation. 
by reason of the speed with which these were written, the recorded words were mostly illegible. Some of them no one was able to read. Even Mirza Abadjan himself sometimes had difficulty in deciphering his own writing and had to seek the help of Baha'u'llah for clarification. So that gives you a sense of how quickly Baha'u'llah received from on high his revelation. The Kitab e Igan, one of the most important works of Baha'u'llah's, which in English translation is perhaps 250 pages long, was produced, according to eyewitnesses, in 48 hours. So we have truly remarkable um, examples of what revelation meant, uh, something that really is a kind of unworldly phenomenon. Here we actually have an example of what's called revelation writing. And if you know anything about Arabic, uh, you can recognize a few letters here. You can rec recognize, for example, H's frequently uh, in here, or perhaps an initial, initial sod, or an initial alef, uh, or an initial ein. But one of the things you may notice is there are no dots in this text at all. And Arabic and Persian is, uh, both of them, their alphabets, are totally dependent upon dots to tell letters apart. A single vertical stroke with a little hook uh, to it, uh, with a dot underneath it means a B, two dots underneath are a Y, three dots underneath in Persian are a P, one dot on top is an N, two dots on top is a T, three dots on top is a TH, and otherwise it's just a stroke uh, with a little hook to carry you on to the next letter. So that gives you some idea of what happens if you drop the dots. The stroke is the same, but without the dots, you don't know which of the six letters is being written. And as you see here, there are no dots at all. Most Persian letters, which are mostly from Arabic, uh, require dots. And so without them, you have uh, a kind of shorthand that you then must very quickly, from your own memory of what was said, convert into a readable text. And that is exactly what Mirza Abajan did. He would then take that text, bring it back to Baha'u'llah, and Baha'u'llah would read it over, correct it, and then the corrected version would go out. Unfortunately, the Baha'i World Center in the 19th century did not have photocopying machines, needless to say, and so sometimes the only clear copy went, was mailed out, and the, the, we were then dependent upon the descendants of those people to uh, send the original or a good photographic copy back to the World Center, and otherwise it's just the revelation writing that has uh, been preserved. Uh, we will probably be finding tablets of Baha'u'llah uh, in people's attics or in collections of papers for several centuries. Uh, not too long ago, perhaps 20 years ago, somebody found a signature, for example, of Shakespeare, which no one had known was uh, available. It's like the 10th or 11th time someone had found a signature of Shakespeare. And this is about 500 years after Shakespeare's death. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we don't have a similar situation with the writings of Baha'u'llah for centuries, finding additional tablets that we may have known were written, but we no longer had copies of. Here's another statement by Taherzadeh himself about the importance of revelation. The greatest proof of the authenticity of the manifestations of God is the revelation of the words of God. No one else is capable of doing this. The holy word revealed from the heaven of the will of the all-merciful first descends upon the pure and radiant heart of the manifestation of God, and then is spoken by him. In his tablet to Nasser ad-Din Shah, Baha'u'llah confirms this in these words, quote, This thing is not from me, but from one who is almighty and all-knowing. And so this is exactly the situation 
uh, eyewitnesses who were present when Baha'u'llah received revelation not only heard it but felt it. They were physically um, overwhelmed by the experience of being present when revelation was coming down uh, and being received by Baha'u'llah. So it's truly an amazing thing that the world will not witness again for a thousand years. Now, as I mentioned, there are these different classifications of the writings of Baha'u'llah by type, and Fazeli Mazandarani was a well-known Persian Baha'i scholar, and he divides things up this way. First of all, he notes that there are different tones to the tablet. Some can have a tone of authority and command, others servitude, meekness, and supplication. You can even find variations in tone sometimes in the same tablet, by the way. And that sometimes when you're studying a tablet by Baha'u'llah or text by Baha'u'llah, it's important sometimes to pay attention to the tone and see how it changes. Then Fazel and Mazandari talks about the subjects covered by the tablets, and he notes uh, seven major types of subjects. Some deal with the interpretation of scriptures, religious beliefs, and doctrines of the past. Others deal with laws and ordinances which have been enjoined for this age or laws of the past that have been abrogated. Baha'u'llah spends a lot of time abrogating laws of Islam, for example. Then there are mystical writings uh, that are within this classification. Tablets concerning matters of government and world order are those and those addressed to the kings. Baha'u'llah wrote to quite a few kings and rulers, including also not just kings but also the pope and various ministers of the Sultan of Turkey. Then there are tablets dealing with subjects of learning and knowledge, divine philosophy, mysteries of creation, medicine, alchemy, etc. And so you have these uh, amazing and mysterious tablets to consider as well. Tablets exhorting men to education, goodly character, and divine virtues, and tablets dealing with social teachings. So that's one way of dividing up topics that Baha'u'llah revealed on. In terms of genres, again, we've talked a little bit about this, and one can identify uh, five different literary genres. Uh, letters to individuals, by far the most common form of revelation from Baha'u'llah. The vast majority of tablets are uh, just simply letters. They're usually revealed in what's called the epistolary style. They often have a greetings to the person. They have them an exhortation, uh, an opening of some sort, and usually a closing, just like a typical letter in the West. But of course, the opening and closing are uh, typical of Persian and Arabic culture of the 19th century. Then you have essays or books. Sometimes they are also revealed as a letter, like the Kitab Egan, revealed to the uh, uncle of the Bab in answer to a large number of questions that he posed to Baha'u'llah. Sometimes these have elaborate arguments. They can be lengthy. There can be a complex internal structure. Can be division into chapters and sections, these kinds of things. Then there are essays or books not revealed to a specific person. This category is very rare. The only thing I can think of that was ever revealed by Baha'u'llah not to a specific person is the Kitabi Akdas. Every other major work by Baha'u'llah was revealed to somebody that I can think of anyway. Then there are poems, very few of which are available in English, and prayers, many of which have been translated into English. Finally, it's useful to provide a quick timeline so that you get some sense of when all these things happened and uh, what the order is that you find them in. Baha'u'llah, of course, was born in November of 1817 and died in May of 18, 
92 at the age of 75. So you have three quarters of a century in there. In 1844 he accepted the Bob, uh, his forerunner, and at that point he became a Bobby, you might say. In 1853 he was sent into the black pit by the Shah. Uh, he was arrested and thrown in prison right after an attempt by some Bobbies to assassinate the Shah, which he had nothing to do with. They eventually exonerated him and released him, so he was in that black pit for four months. And while he was there in the black pit, or Siachal, that's the Persian word for black pit, he received uh, sort of the symbolic beginning of his revelation, where he experienced revelation flowing over him. And we have one poem, the Rashet Amal, from that particular time. Uh, we also have some evidence that he was revealing even before uh, the Siachal event, uh, but I don't know that we have any texts that have survived from that time. Then he was uh, left, he was forced to leave Iran, he went immediately to Baghdad, and from Baghdad he went off into a kind of self-imposed uh, retreat uh, in Kurdistan for two plus years, and while he was in Kurdistan he met many Sufis and became quite well known as a uh, mystical figure. He then returned to Baghdad where he revealed the hidden words, seven valleys, four valleys, gems of mysteries, Gems of Divine Mysteries, I should say, is the full title, in the Book of Certitude, or Kitab Egan. Uh, we have the exact date of the Egan is January, I think the 16th, but we can look that up, uh, 1861, when that particular book was revealed. We don't have exact dates for most of the others, but the Gems of Divine Mysteries was revealed before this Book of Certitude, and after probably the Seven Valleys, because it's a sort of, sort of in between those two works in terms of style and content. We don't always know about the dates of these other works. Then, of course, in 1863, Baha'u'llah was exiled first to Istanbul, which at that time was called Constantinople by Westerners. And he arrived there in the summer. Then in December of 1863, he was sent on to Edirne, or Adrianople, as it was called at that time by Europeans. And he was in Edirne for parts of, four, parts of five years, from 1864 to 1868. While he was there, he began to reveal his tablets to the various kings and rulers towards the end of that period of time. And he continued to do that after he was exiled for one last time to the city of Akka. He arrived in Akka in the summer of 1868 and spent the rest of his days in Akka or in the vicinity of Akka. This is, uh, of course, in what is today now northern Israel. At that time, it was part of the Ottoman Empire and the province of Syria. Uh, he continued writing tablets to the various kings and rulers. Then in 1873, the Kitabe Akdas, or Most Holy Book, was revealed by him, which gave many of the laws of the faith, um, fasting, um, many uh, teachings about world organization, like the need for an international language, uh, many exhortations to leaders around the world, such as uh, a passage written to the presidents of the republics of the Americas. 1876 to 1878, a series of tablets that are now published in Tabernacle of Unity appeared. These were tablets to uh, Persians of Zoroastrian background. Uh, Zoroastrians began to become Baha'is in Iran, and uh, these, of course, are members of the ancient pre-Islamic religion of the country, and Baha'u'llah wrote them frequently in what is called pure Persian, 
Uh, this is Persian with no Arabic words. It's rather like trying to write English without any words of French or Latin background. Extremely difficult. And Baha'u'llah was a master in writing uh, pure Persian. Then he revealed a series of tablets which have been published in a book called Tablets of Baha'u'llah revealed after the Kitab Akdas. There's about 20 of them there. The Eshraqat, Besharat, Tarazat, the Lohe Hikmat, the Tablet of Wisdom. Um, quite a few tablets that are very important uh, in that particular volume. Most of them revealed in the late 70s, 80s, and into the early 90s. And they often deal, again, with issues of world order. Then, in the last year or so of his life, he produced the Epistle to the Son of the Wolf, which was a 200-page or so letter to the Son of the Wolf, who was the son of a major persecutor of the Baha'is in the city of Esfahan, where he provided a kind of summary of many of his teachings, a compilation of some of his most important texts, and, of course, uh, exhorted the Son of the Wolf to repent from his uh, terrible deeds because he was also persecuting the Baha'is. He then, Baha'u'llah, also pitched his tent on Mount Carmel during this last year or so of his life, and he revealed the Tablet of Carmel, which is very important, but very short, beautiful tablet, which basically is the uh, mandate for building the Baha'i World Center on Mount Carmel. And then, of course, he passed in May of 1892. So that's a very quick summary of some of the most important writings of Baha'u'llah. Gives you some sense of when they were revealed, a uh, sense of where Baha'u'llah lived at different times, and these different periods of his life, the Baghdad period, the Adrianople period, the early and late Akka periods, are often used for dating his tablets, because sometimes tablets in those four periods have certain themes in particular. I uh, hope that helps you understand the writings of Baha'u'llah, and any courses you take to the Wilmot Institute will provide you additional exposure to uh, the teachings and the details of how these tablets were produced.
Thank you for tuning in. You can contact us at info at oneworldradiostation.org. Wishing you health and happiness. Bye for now.